What's good, mi gente? It's your girl, Odalis Jasmine, and y'all are tuning into Hella Latino. Today, you're going to hear from Ileana Acosta, a Dominican-American Latina born and raised in Queens, New York. Today, she is a senior sales manager at LinkedIn, managing global ad tech partnerships that accelerate revenue and customer growth. While she slays in her role, she's also giving back to the community in so many ways. She's the global co-chair of LinkedIn's Hispanic Employee Resource Group, Hola. She's on the national board of the 100 Hispanic Women National Organization and is the co-president of the Cornell Johnson Alumni Club of New York City, OSEA. And did I mention Boo is also the author of a bi-weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Lost in Translation, a newsletter she launched to shine light on the challenges and the limitations underrepresented groups experience and how it impacts the way we show up. Enough of me talking. Let's get into it. I'm so excited you're here, though. I feel like you're one of many people that I've been just like inspired by and you don't even know. And I'd be like, me and Eliana are going to be best friends and she doesn't even know it. (laughs) So I'm excited Uh, that you're here. The fact that you took so long to reach out, I'm feeling a certain type of way, you know. (laughs) All good, it's all funny good. too We're because you're you're one of the many people from LinkedIn that I've had on the podcast and that's happened so organically so just like shout out to all the dope LinkedIn people that I met because you definitely one of them and we're gonna jump into your story all the amazing things you're doing but just wanted to give you some welcome welcome the energy while you're here thank you thank you for having me I'm excited to have this conversation yes and we're gonna start with the first question and I okay. think you listened to the Rosanna episode, so you know what to expect. But yeah, the first I question to I some ask, of it. well, I start every, for context, I start every episode with the same question because okay. I want to show that our com- community is so diverse. Like people don't realize yep. how diverse Latinidad is. And so I always ask, how do you identify and why? And girl, I've had 70 plus episodes now. No one's answered the same. So how do you identify, Liana? Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think that we all answered the same because, you know, there's so many shades of brown that make up Latinidad and we're all so different in our unique ways. But I identify as a Dominican-American Afro-Latina from New York, pronouns she, her, ella, of course. Um, But why it's, you know, it's what makes me me. Uh, If you look at me, that's clear that I am Latina. Um, right now my hair is in twists, but like normally the curly fro is out and I totally embrace it now. Um, you know, the color of my skin, the makeup of my hair, the Latino culture that I grew up in, Dominican culture that I grew up in my family, that all makes up like who I am and how I show up today. Well, I've been, um, enjoying Lost in Translation, your newsletter on LinkedIn. And I love that you're so real and so vulnerable. And that's one of the first things that I noticed about you. I remember seeing you at an event and I'm just like, this girl is so 100,000% herself. And that to me in a leader is so important. And so just to give you a credit, like that's that's amazing. And that's something that I think a lot of our people in our community look up to is the realness because girl, we need more of that. And it makes sense that you're Latina, you're from New York, all of that. <laughs> But, yeah, I've been but reading, I, I appreciate uh, the flowers. I appreciate the flowers. Seriously. Thank girl, you. all the flowers, all the flowers. And I want to talk about Lost in Translation, but more more so like I want to talk about you and you talking about being from New York, being Dominican-American. I always like to talk about our parents' immigration story or who are, wherever that immigration story starts, because I think so much of our story is rooted in that. 
So I want to ask you, like, where does that immigration story start? Like, where is it your parents, your grandparents, you like, what's that immigration yeah. story? And what brought you to New York? Well, I'm hella first gen. I'm gonna use that. Um, so my <laughs> you know, we do have something a little different. Uh, my both of my parents immigrated here from DR when they were teenagers. Um, it was interesting. So I'm going to go back towards like when my grandparents came to the U.S. They went straight to New York to the Lower East Side, Delancey and Ludlow is where they ended up. And they left all of their kids. At that point, they had nine kids and they left all the kids in DR with deals and tias, amigos, just to like take care of the fam. Um, while they made their way to the U.S. and try to make a life for themselves before they brought the kids over. And so my grandmother worked in factories, as did my grandfather. And so they did that, you know, not an uncommon story when you you know think about Latinos that have immigrated or really any underrepresented group. And um, eventually they brought the kids over. My mom came over when she was about 14 and they made a life in the Lower East Side with a bunch of kids living in like a two bedroom apartment and they figured it out. Um, eventually they moved to Brooklyn. That's where my parents met and they, they got married pretty young, you know, back in the day. Um, I'm gonna keep this all the way real. Like, this is my story. This is, this is what, hey, what dale, it is. Dale con todo. Uh, yeah. I, I honestly, like, I feel very comfortable sharing my story at this stage in my life because this will make me me. Right. Um, my mom and dad met when they were probably like 19, 20 or so. My mom was a cheerleader and he was a softball player for a neighborhood um, uh, team. So, you know, she was like, oh, he's cute. So she right. bagged him. And, you know, eventually they got married. Um, they had my brother, but they got married really, really young. Like they were, I think, 21 and 20, respectively. And so if you, when what I was doing at 2021, girls running these streets. I was in the club. I was in bars. You know, I was having me some fun. And my dad was not ready for that level of commitment, whereas my mom has always been a pretty like big homebody and she's super chill. She's still very chill to this day. And my dad was just trying to run these streets and be outside of his parents' house. And so that led to them essentially breaking apart because he was running these streets, um, had women and, you know, being Dominicano. Um, they ended up having, I know, I was like, I don't want him to fit the stereotype. Like I was, I was trying to avoid that. But you know, I know, but if you, you know, we walk like a duck and talks like a duck, you know, it is what it is. But, and I love my dad to death. Right. But you know, he, he, he was very generous with his seat. And so my mom and him had two kids and he ended up having 10 kids from three different women. Yes, girl. You heard that. He was like, Oprah, give me half these kids. Like, yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, so you, get one, you get one, you get one, you get one. Exactly. You know that meme where her hands are out and it's like, you know, everybody gets her. That's my dad. Um, so, um, so yeah, I mean, that eventually led to my mom raising two kids on her own. And he was very busy with so many kids that in reality, you know, at that point when he was having the kids, he was driving a taxi. He didn't have the means to support nearly 10 kids at that point. He, I think at that point when I was younger, he had like eight. That's a lot of kids to support on a taxi taxi salary, in which case, like my mom had to do a lot of it herself. So to this day, I don't even know how she did it. And I'm super grateful for her. We didn't have a lot growing up, but what we never lacked, I literally never lacked feeling loved. And my mom told me she loved me every single day. She told me I was beautiful every single day. 
My family was the same. Like I'm very, very close to my mom's side of the family. And so what we didn't have in resources, we had in like the stuff that really matters, right? Because all the other stuff, if it goes away, like what you have is family and what you have is love. And so oh, girl. that that just pushed me to, you know, do do more. Um, I can keep right. going because this is a is a, such a long story, but yeah. And I and girl, like we we're speaking about vibration earlier, like your vibration when you're talking about your story, like with smile, with sazon. I'm like, it's like I could listen to you all day, girl. You need to start a podcast. But I oh, think I love it. one of the things that I was thinking about as you were sharing though is like it, it reminded me of something that I went through. Like I remember somebody I told my story for the first time, you know, adversities and beauty and all. And someone was like, you know, it's crazy that you came from nothing and you're here now. And I get they were saying it with like, you know, being cariñoso. They were saying it in a very sweet way. But I was like, you know, I never grew up thinking I had nothing, though. Like I had so much love. Like you're saying, like so much love. Like my parents to this day, like they're like, ¿Qué quieres comer? you know, like, ¿Quieres esto? ¿Quieres yeah. otro? like they give me love affirmations, yeah. like so much like there's other things that I didn't get growing up but like I got the important stuff you know and so it reminded me of that right. of like you always feel loved despite not having this monetary stuff right 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 a hundred percent I feel it's the same thing with me for me I felt like so much pride when my mom would take my my, my 95 on a spelling test and put it on the fridge like she was celebrating me and like that just made me really really happy and so growing up, I just felt like we were rich, even though we definitely weren't. She had to save for months on end to buy me like a pair of $50 sneakers. Sneakers. I did travel as a kid. Um, I got on my first plane when I was, I think, 12. And wow. I didn't get on another plane until I was uh, 16 for a trip that my mom saved for for years to Florida. Not even to Disney, just to go visit family because she didn't have money for the park either. Right. So... You know, but she did what she could. And for that, I'm super grateful. You know, she celebrated all the right moments. She always me apoyaba to do whatever I wanted to do. Um, even though, even though growing up, you know, all we heard was like become a doctor or a lawyer or Better accountant, <laughs> you know, things that, you know, that they saw on TV that were like successful people. Right. And that's what they wanted for us. You know, the quote unquote American dream. Yeah. And we we manifested that in a different, different way. And I want to ask you now about like, like we talked about your parents. Like, I want to know about Ileana growing up. Like, you can talk about running those streets too, as a kid is, but I want to know <laughs> your face. I want to know about, I want to know about you growing up in New York and growing up in a Dominican American household. Like, talk about, and there was a point when you were saying, I don't know if you caught on to this, but you were saying like, you weren't always comfortable sharing your story. But I want to hear about your journey of like growing up in New York, navigating these first generation experiences. Like talk about your story a little bit. Sure. I hope they're ready. <laughs> um, <laughs> so growing up in New York, you know, for those who grew up in New York City, um, I grew up in Corona, Queens. So it's not like at that time wasn't like the super hood. There weren't shootings every day. There were shootings from time to time, but there were drugs everywhere, especially at, at that time. Um, that I was growing up and there were, you know, kids always on the corner, people on the street. I really never saw what someone like successful looked like because everyone had like blue collar jobs and like very entry level jobs. Right? right. And so you had multiple people living in one household. Um, you know, my next door neighbor was 13 with twins. My best friend growing up was 16 with the kid, the neighbor, the other neighbor 
she must have been under 30 and she had like seven or eight kids running in that house. And so like, wow. this is the environment. Yeah, girl, it was, a, it was busy, you know? Um, statistically speaking, I probably should have popped out at least five or six kids right now. Um, <laughs> but that was like the environment that I grew up in. And so I have an older, bro- an older brother and he's amazing. I, like him and I are really close now, but we went through our many rough patches throughout. And growing up, we have a, almost a seven-year difference. So I was that annoying little sister that would say all the things and rat him out. So he was, you know, he was running these streets in, in not a good way. And yeah. I would tell on him. So he would always be like, Ely, if you tell on me, I'm going to cut your hair while you're sleeping, you know, or do yeah. some crazy stuff. Um, but there was a pivotal moment. I was like 12 or 13. I came home from school. I was in seventh or eighth grade. I came home from school and he was home. Um, we lived to give you like a, a visual. We lived in an attic apartment because that's what my mom could afford. It was an, a- an attic in a two family house that they had redone into an actual full apartment. But half of the apartment was like a slanted ceiling. So it was it was big, but it was like very interesting setup. Right. Anyhow. So I'm on the couch. I get home. I, I go into the living room and I'm literally sitting. I was 12 or 13. I'm sitting in a cloud of smoke. OK, because my brother and his friends decided to smoke weed and they didn't care that I was home. They were like, we're smoking weed because this is what we do. Right. And it was at that. It was so funny because I literally could picture myself sitting on this couch right now. And I remember thinking to myself, this ain't it. Like, this is not what I want like I this is I didn't even try drugs um like a typical teenager like my friends where I know I never did drugs in high school etc so call me a square but I'm definitely not a square but <laughs> she's definitely not a square <laughs> I'm definitely not a square but I just was like this is what I saw so what's funny is that I saw my brother doing this and I saw my brother out in the streets I saw him doing all this negative stuff so I basically said I'm gonna do everything opposite from what he's doing and then hopefully that'll land me somewhere better and so that was that was my life for, you know, through college, because that's what I was told to do is to go to college to be successful. I changed my major like twice because I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to be a doctor or a lawyer like doctors had to do way, way too much science and lawyers had to go to school way too long. So I was like, I can't do it. You're like, not um, for me, not for me, <laughs> not for me. No, not at all. But, you know, growing up in New York, you have to have thick skin and you get street smart really fast. I took yeah. the subway starting at 13. And, wow. you know, you see things that a 13 year old probably shouldn't see. How much of you growing up in New York and growing up as fast as you did influence how you move in your career? now? My hustle is different, you know, um, yeah, I give myself a really, I think we all do give ourselves a really hard time when we're having like an off day. But even on my D days, it's somebody else's A game. So right. my hustle, right. I feel like my hustle and grit is different. Um, and I go, yeah, everybody goes through ups and downs, but it's just different. Um, I also, you know, I feel like it helped me establish myself from from a community perspective and have like a really large network because New York is such a melting pot of different cultures, uh, different industries, et cetera. So as a result, like even from high school through undergrad, et cetera, I built like this really large network that I'm fortunate that I could tap into yeah. for different reasons. That's so fire. And I knew you're going to be BFFs. 
without us even knowing because mm-hmm. you and your brother, me and my brother are the same, literally the exact same way. Like he's six years oh, older like than that. me. He used to hate because I used to, girl, I was chismosa AF growing up. I was like, mira que Patricio hizo esto. Mira que hizo lo otro. Mira que, mira que está haciendo. Like, anda en la calle. Like, I would say things yep. about him all the time and he still holds it against me. He's like, you would always tell on me all the time. Oh. All of that. He sends me, my brother sends me reels and memes just to remind me of that time. He would be like, did your brother do this? Like, he would go, we'd be in the living room and my mom would be in the kitchen and he would go, wow, enemy, why'd you hit me? And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm on the other couch. So he would like make a slapping noise so that my mom could come up and be like, uh, why are you hitting your brother? Leave your brother alone, go to your room. And she would always take his side. He was a mama's boy. It oh, see, horrible. I know. I, I always got, he got the cantaleta. I did not. Like, I got all the love. Like, I used to, there's a story that I tell often. And he hates it because he's like, you were always the favorite, whatever. But I threw a heel at him because he was annoying me. Like, he would always, he would always pick on me. Always. Because I was smaller. Like, I was like a little girl. And I got so annoyed that I literally threw my mom's shoe at him. And it hit him in la cabeza acá. <laughs> girl, he like fell to the floor. My face, oh my God. <laughs> se cayó. I was like, oh no, he's going to beat Got my some water. <laughs> but the first thing I did is I ran into the closet and I locked myself in there. I was like, don't come in here. Don't. He's like, I'm waiting oh outside. And then my mom comes home. She's like, ¿Y esto qué pasó? Like, what's going on? And I was like, Patricia me va a pegar. And, esto y el otro. and he was like, she hit me. And he got in trouble for that. So he hates that story. He's that. like, see? I think the closest I may have gotten to that was uh, he teased me for something. I don't know what it was, but he definitely got under my skin. So from the attic apartment, I filled up water balloons so that when he left the house, I could throw the water balloons <laughs> from the window. Oh, see, and, girl. And my first one, I got him right on the head. He was that is so, so funny. <laughs> Yeah, but like we could the share things, all these war the stories. The things today. we do, the things we do. Okay, so I want to talk about, okay, you're talking about growing up in New York, talking about all the things that it taught you. I want to talk about some that I'm like, I don't know if people ask you this often, but you went to Cornell and Cornell's, Cornell's a fire school. It's an Ivy League school, isn't it? I'm like, I should know this. Um, it's yes. an Ivy League school. <laughs> I can't imagine a first generation experience in a, in a in a school like Cornell where it's you know, I don't know what it looks like or it feels like, but it's an Ivy League school and you're first generation representing Dominicano, i.e., right? Like, tell me about that first generation experience of going to Cornell. It was hella weird <laughs> um, because I had no one in my family to, you know, talk to about the experience. Um, they didn't really understand the what what I was going through while I was going through um, grad school. Um, I went for my executive MBA, so I actually just finished in 2017, five years ago. Ooh. And so I, don't, I think I was crazy, girl. I don't know what was I was drinking because I was still working full time. And then I went to, for my MBA and it was on the weekend. It was every other weekend. Um, and it was a lot of work, so much work. Yeah. Um, so it was I felt a sense of pride doing the program um, because I was like, wow, like I'm actually doing this in a million years would my mom or anyone have guessed that I would go for my MBA but it's something I always wanted to do and I kept procrastinating even after undergrad I'm like I'm gonna go for my MBA and then I just I honestly just never did um and I was in a sales role and 
I didn't feel like I really needed the MBA to be that much more successful and like to continue growing my career. But I felt like it was a goal that I always set for myself and I never accomplished. And for me, it was more part of my 10-year plan versus my two or three-year plan, even though I don't really believe in like these five years, 10-year plans, but I knew it was, it'll play a part in my future. And uh, that's why I went for it. But luckily, I surround myself with really incredible people, um, men and women, friends that I genuinely cherish and value so much that they poured into me and they were able to fill like any gaps and questions because they also had gone through their MBA or or advanced degree in some capacity. Um, But my immediate family couldn't really relate to the experience because I was the first one to get my MBA at that point. Right. I... I want to ask you this question. I don't really know how to phrase it. So I'll tell you my story with it. I never thought of myself as first generation until I went to college. I thought first gen just meant college. I was like, oh, okay, like, cool. Once college is over, it's done, like moving on. And then I realized, oh, I'm first gen everything. Like I'm literally first gen career, first gen moving in this world. Like first generation is a part of my identity when when was that clear for you like when did you feel like oh this is like some first gen shit you know like when did you have that feeling Uh, probably probably when I started um realizing how much my little cousins uh started looking up to me and really started watching my moves and I'm really close to my cousins they're like my sisters and my best friends and I'm very very close to my aunties as well um but I think that's when I realized how I moved affected other people because they were watching me move and it would inspire them to do something different. So my little cousin saw me um, traveling a lot because I love to travel. Like that's like, I don't have any vices, but traveling is probably one one of them if that's what you want to call a vice. Um, And so they started traveling more. They, I, you know, I started looking at organizations to like advance my career, looking for new opportunities. They started looking into me to like guide them and mentor them as they were navigating throughout their career. So I realized that power I had in influencing my family and with doing things that were first to them because they haven't they hadn't seen this with anyone else in our family aside from myself at the time. So that's when I started realizing I'm like, whoa, I have like a lot of power here and I, I don't want to steer them wrong. So I'm going to like go on this right path so that I can try things and hopefully they can learn from my mistakes as I make them throughout the week. The, my life because there's no way around it you're gonna make mistakes it's how you learn yeah. from them that's important yeah yeah I ask that because I think the first generation becomes so part of someone you know like once you learn like oh this is what first generation means this is what it feels like this is what I've been feeling for hella long and then realizing that you are trailblazing for other people in your family, in your community that you don't even realize. And I love that that was your answer because I'm like, that is so real. It's like you're the first one and like your family, Aiva, you know, they want to say they're going to go on that path and they're going to paint their own path and trailblaze new paths for the family. Like it's it's powerful. It's so powerful. Yeah. And it, you don't realize like all the work, it's so worth it when. I don't know, I get like a card from my cousin with like this super heartfelt message and I'm like, oh my God, stop. So, you know, even when you feel like no one's watching, they're watching. (laughs) Oh my God, please don't get me started because I cry for anything. Just let's not go Uh, there. Let's change the subject. (laughs) Right. I want to ask you this question because I feel like 
I started this podcast with like, you are a hundred thousand percent Ileana yourself. Was that always the case? Like, were you always that person? Or no. like, tell me that story of you like owning who you are. I don't know that wasn't me. Um, no, I think that's true. Um, not that I was like fake, you know, I'm like, not that I was like living this double life, even though some days it probably felt like that. But I feel like, you know, growing up, especially as a Latina, you get, you know, the whole like, be grateful for what you have. Um, that's so great. Don't negotiate. Oh, my God, are you going to negotiate? They might take the job offer back, you know, like different things. Just be grateful. So in other words, like, be grateful and shut up. And that's kind of how I like rocked for a while, right? Because also working in different organizations, um, whether it had been like toxic leadership, which like God knows we need to stop promoting and like like honoring and all the things with toxic leaders that tend to move up somehow, some way, please organizations like stop rewarding this behavior. Um, or it was like an all boys club, whatever company I was with. Um, or no one around the table looked like me. And yeah. so then I felt like, should I save it? Uh, would, would they welcome this from a brown girl, you know? And so I always felt like I would be judged if I said something wrong, right? And also like what's right and what's wrong in a business setting. Like we're just all sharing ideas and perspectives. Like it's subjective, right? Um, and so I didn't, I, I didn't feel like I could be myself because no one else looked like me around the table. And that's not who I am anymore. I mean, even to go as far as just like a little bit on this, but like I would straighten my hair instead of going wow. curly on any interview I went on. Like literally from the time I was like 18, 19 years old interviewing for corporate jobs. I started working corporate America when I was 18 because when I went to undergrad, I worked full time. Grad school, I worked full time. Like I never had the luxury of like not working while I was going to school. And I worked since I was 15. So like I would always just try to assimilate to my environments and definitely code switching was a part of my DNA when I would work, you know, in these organizations. And I just felt like, man, like I felt a lot of times like sofoca, like really suffocated, like, oh my God, yo no puedo respirar y tu And that was just like the way I navigated corporate America. Um, and then as I got older and I started getting experience in different organizations, I was like, I'm going to be hella intentional on what kind of company I want to work with and what kind of role I want to be in and what people and things I allow into my life. And when I started doing that, that's when I started becoming more comfortable with who I am and um, just really bringing my authentic self into any room that I'm in. How, how did that start? What were some things that you were like doing, whether it's the code switching, not straightening your hair? Like what were some things that you were doing to bring your full self? Um, so I'll, I'll say, and I don't want to say the year because I don't want to like highlight any particular company, but there was a year where I said, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm going to break away, um, from this because it wasn't serving me in the way that I wanted to, I wanted to be served in like the job and the company and more so the toxic leadership was, um, we're not pouring into my cup. And I'm like, this is not it. This feels really bad. I was, and I just talked about this in the newsletter. Like I felt the Sunday scaries, like I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I would, I think I lost like 15 pounds in a month because I was like so stressed out. Like it was really bad. Meal. Yeah. 
That's it was real. really, really bad. I hated it so much because I, I felt like I lost myself and no one should ever feel so lost. And my mental yeah. health was definitely taking a beating. And so I departed from that organization and I said, you know what, I'm going to be really intentional with where I go to next. And wherever I go, they better be ready because mm-hmm. your girl's coming 100%. And I'm so done with like, not speaking my mind, not being true to who I am, just to like make other pe- other people feel comfortable around me. Like that's tr- you're tripping. I'm not doing that anymore. So I was very intentional. Um, and then I, you know, worked for organizations and and leaders that I felt were incredible humans and that really helped me feel fulfilled in the workplace. Uh, but that took that took intentionality, honestly, because looking for a job that's scary right because i left with no job um because i was so over it and i was like oh my god i should take the first job offer that i get and like this is a great offer and then i was like you know what no i'm gonna be intentional again this is what i want to do this is the type of company i want to do it for and this is what i want to be doing in the next 12 months and i was looking short-term versus long-term um and i said if i'm if i'm building something because i love to build and i love to like see something from nothing to something like that's so exciting to me and I want to be able to build with people if those two things are rock solid and the company is rock solid then I'm in a good place and that's where we're going to start and you land up oh I can't say I was like I'm always a company <laughs> well um, I am I am working at a great organization now yeah you are working at a great organization and I yes. I how do you like speaking of you working at an organization she is not just working ladies and gentlemen she is like thriving at this company. She's co global co-chair of Ola, our Latino ERG. It's a whole sales leader leading a whole team. She is a mentor. She's a friend. She's like has clout all over LinkedIn. I mean, the list goes on. And you have a newsletter. Mean girl. Lo haces todo. How, how me do blush. you balance? <laughs> how um, do you do it all? How do you do it all? Delegation. <laughs> Delegation. You cannot do it all yourself. You know, with my with my my team now, my my core team that I work on the channel team um, within our our marketing solutions business, um, they're incredible. They're super super high performers. Everyone brings their own special sesson to the team, and I know I can rely on them to deliver what we need as as a team. Um, so there's you know I need support, and so like, but I, they also need support. So we're both. We're literally, it's an even value exchange. It's like, what can I do to support you and what you're doing? And how can you support me and what I need to do and deliver for this business? So there is very much a two-way street, um, very healthy relationship with the team. So together we can go so much further and like alone, you can go but so far. And so um, we have a very, very uh, inclusive and collaborative, collaborative culture on the team, which allows me to then feel secure and resource to then lead the ERG with my co-chair um, to really identify ways that we can pour more into our Latino community within the organization and also to our Latino members on the platform. And so yeah. with that, we've been very intentional about scaling out our leadership team globally across North America, in EMEA, in Europe, and then obviously in LATAM um, to be able to have people who can help us do the good work. Uh, who are as passionate as we are to create long-term sustainable change. And so again, like we work together, like Joey and I, you know, we're, we're great together. We're amazing partners in this, 
But we would not be able to do any of this work if it wasn't for our LT and if it wasn't our leadership team, let me not talk an acronym, um, or our members and like contributors like you, Odalis, because you've done so much for the ERG in the time that you've been in the organization. And like you're shining so bright. And I'm so excited to see where your journey takes you here or beyond and how I can play a role in that because I just see so much goodness in you and I, I like you're so young and I'm like oh this girl's gonna be on fuck and I'm excited to see it oh girl no, stop it don't shed no gangster tears no 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 my blushing <laughs> Rojito. no it's it, I, it's all real it's all real yeah and I think it's again I think what stands out about you Ilian, is how much of your like fullness that you bring into the space like I think I've heard you say dope in every meeting that I'm in with you, whether it's like professional settings or not. You were, I think you were in a fireside chat and you were saying dope, you were speaking slang, you were like even said some Spanish thing in there. And I was like, this girl's got it down of like how to be herself. Do you think that comes with time or does that come with like introspective work? Because I feel like sometimes people tell me like, oh, you know, once you get to this position, you can be yourself. But like, do you think it takes time or do you think it's just like a journey that you go through? Um, I, I don't believe in, oh, yeah, until you get this into this position, you could be that way. I think you should just be you, right? I mean, I'm not going to be, um, rolling up and like throwing F bombs every two seconds, but like, this is how I speak, right? If I think right. something's hella dope, I'm like, oh, that's hella dope. You know, like people should be up on language, you know? <laughs> and if you're not, let me school you a little bit. And so. <laughs> Yeah, I, d- I also think that it just depends on the audience, right? Like, I've done a couple different interviews over the last month or so, and both people that I interviewed, both actors and creators, and they were amazing humans, they were both super receptive to that, and, like, the vibe was there. So I'm going to vibe off of that. So I vibe off of the people and the environment, um, but I am true to myself. Like, I definitely am a fool on my team meeting, and... Like, it's so funny because a true story, when I first started at LinkedIn, um, I was told by my manager at the time that like her leader said that I was a lot, right? And I was like, boy, you know, that you were a lot. That was a lot, girl, because hablaba mucho y tenía mucha energía, you know, it was, you know, this is my natural energy. I don't drink coffee. I don't drink caffeine. This is just like my vibe. Like, this is just me here. Yeah. So I'm like, Aperate. you want me to change my vibe, my my high vibration? Mira, I don't know what to tell you, but like if you were the CEO, I would have the same vibe. You know, like I actually have the same vibe with the CEO, actually. And like we talk very fluid like this. And so fast forward, I don't hear those comments. They t- totally embrace me. And I also feel like I was confident enough in myself to be like, I'm going to continue being my my real self and bring my whole self into what I do. And over time, it was just like, this is just who she is. And I, my productivity is like so much better. I feel so excited to come to work, you know, even though it's like virtual on most days. <laughs> um, and I just feel really, really comfortable, you know, having conversations with like C-suite leaders in the organization because I'm bringing my whole self into these conversations and I know that I will be accepted for doing that. Are there any times where you feel like you like have to put that mask up or you feel that urge to put the mask up? Like, are there any moments like that? 
Not really. I think I used to have that for a long time. And then, you know, imposter syndrome was a real thing for real growing up. And like even in my previous jobs and even it still creeps up every so often now. Um, Just not a lot. You know, I think the goal is like you're human. The goal over time is to have less of those moments and more of the moments that you feel like confident in within yourself and that you're giving yourself the flowers and realizing your superpowers and what other people see in you. And so I don't have those moments as much anymore. No, I don't feel like I have to code switch um, or like put a mask on. Yeah, I love that. And that's the goal, girl. That's what I'm saying. I was so excited to have you on here because I know that you, your vibration, like speaking on that, like is so, it's so good. It's so like, you just want to be around it all the time. And I think that's what we need to see in leadership. And so I just hope, you know, like, your existence in the space that you're in and every space that you're in is like so revolutionary and you really are paving the way for so many people so <laughs> stop the thug tears are gonna come out you know i'm so serious is, i don't thank you thank you for saying that and you know i appreciate you saying that because feedback is a gift and i think over the last several years i've heard some variation of that um that people have been gracious enough to share it with me And that has also helped me become more comfortable with like this real version of me and not having to put on a mask because the way I see it is is like if I'm influencing and impacting one person to feel more comfortable within themselves and inspire them to be just them, then my purpose on this planet, on this earth and why God put me here as as a vessel, I'm doing the work and like I'm, I'm living in my purpose. And so I feel really, really good about that. Absolutely. And it starts a it starts like a chain reaction, but like it you are showing up as your full self, like you're influencing all these folks, like makes me want to show up as my full self even more. And then people who are looking at me like, you know, it it starts this chain reaction where we really get to make space for our people in spaces we were not always in. So I think it's 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 so powerful. And that's part of the first gen experience is you really are paving the way. And it starts this kind of revolutionary chain reaction of like, oh, you know what? I'm going to roll up in there as my fullest, most highest vibration self. And they're going to love me. <laughs> yeah. Or not. A, and that's cool. <laughs> I'm not everybody's cup of tea and that's okay. Okay. That is okay. You know, you're not my cup of tea either. You know, but right. like, 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 it's fine. Like, we're, it's, we're human, right? We like different things. Um, But there was a leader that um, I used to work with. Actually, he was at LinkedIn. And this guy would, the black man in um, our Detroit office, he was literally like, we're still so cool now. I love this guy. He would roll up into the office in basketball jerseys, Timberlands, baggy jeans. Now, he started out as, no, 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 like literally just him. And I remember I met him within like months of me being at the organization. So this is what I'm seeing. And he moved up so much that he was running an office for us in the Midwest. So I'm like, I mean, y'all really embrace people here. This feels good. And so once I started seeing that and like other examples, it just empowered me to, to do the same. And so I feel very, very empowered to just be myself. And I've never felt so comfortable within 
myself and to express like this Latina accent, rock the curly hair when I have it out, rock my J's when I go into the office. Like this is just me. Oh, sad. <laughs> she roll up in her fullest self and that's and that's powerful. I want to talk about this is our next little segment called Cafecito and Chisme. I don't even have my coffee with me. This is like all bad. Um, you're slapping. But I'm not going to say I'm... that there's coffee in here, but it is a coffee mug. <laughs> you don't drink coffee? Was that something I heard? I don't, don't drink coffee I don't all. drink coffee at all. Zero percent. Girl, that's why you look so flaw. You know, coffee ages you like it gives you wrinkles and all that. Like it ages Does your body. It? Yeah. I mean, I hear that coffee stunts your growth. And I mean, I still am 5'3 on a good day. So I don't know. I didn't I never drank coffee. So something happened with me. In my family, they say if you hold babies too young, like the vas a quedar así. And I come out with so that tall. explains it. Oh wow. You're yeah, like, that's it. That's it. But that I never I never in my family. I'm but I carried a lot of babies and I'm five nine. So I don't know. Oh, I'm wow. mentira. I'm is mentira. Yeah. Don't That's don't believe life. it. That's... But the cafecito and cheese minute section is more so like I want to celebrate you and all the things that you're doing. So what is it that is going on in your life right now? Whether it's the newsletter, which I want to talk about, or anything else going on that you just want folks to know about. But yeah, what's going on in yeah. Ileana's life currently? Currently, um, I'm living this like hybrid life between New York and Miami these days. And that has brought me a lot of happiness and peace um, because you go crazy in New York and like you're hustling and bustling there. But then you come back to Miami and it's like peaceful. But if you want to turn up, you know, it's across the street. Um, so that's happening, which I really enjoy. So um, for anyone listening, please connect with me. I'm in both cities and we can like meet up or connect on LinkedIn. Um, I'm also also over the last, I would say, year-ish, um, I've been doing a lot of speaking engagements, whether that's like on panels, moderating conversations, um, doing keynotes now, which I know you have one coming up, which is exciting. Um, we out here. And yeah, we all here working, y'all. Um, <laughs> but it's so funny because, again, I, you know, for so long, I didn't really feel like I owned my voice and um, my throat chakra was definitely blocked. And over the last, I would say, year and a half, two years, even a little longer, actually, I've been doing these speaking engagements. And as of recently, it, it really has like invigorated me in a way that I never imagined public speaking would do. Like I get off either a virtual or on the stage and I am like literally high on life and it makes me feel so good to feel like, wow, my message is it, it's resonating and people felt the message I was giving. So I talk about everything from we, we, a lot of times we've been talking about like imposter syndrome, wanting your own voice, um, unlearning limitations, right? Because we have a lot of them that we've learned as a child. Um, navigating, you know, ERG strategy and politics, because, you know, over the last 15 months, my co-chair and I have literally changed our Ola ERG from what it was to what it is now, which is super exciting. So I've been talking about a lot of those different topics. And, you know, I have found so much love and passion for it that I'm continuing to do more of that. So that's something I'm working on. And then um, the newsletter that I just dropped about a month and a half ago. That got um, featured by Ryan, the CEO of LinkedIn. Okay. <laughs> fun fun fact, fun fact. He actually inspired me to write it. Really? So he, 
Yeah. So he was the one that actually, so I met with him for the first time last year. And in that first meeting, he told me that I have this authenticity that not a lot of people embrace and are able to um, speak on. And because of that, so many people gravitate towards my message. And I was like, what are you talking about? Right. And like straight up again, like that, that doubt, that imposter syndrome, like not me, you know. And so over time, I was like, there's something here, you know, and then I started really embracing it, all the things. And about a couple months ago when I met with him last, um, him and I were just having a conversation. I was like, yeah, you know, this is what I, you know, this is a, on a recent panel. I talked about this and he's like, you should, you should put this in a newsletter or something. And I was like, I don't know. He's like, I think you should. Yeah, why not? And I was like, you know what? I've been meaning to post more on the platform. I'm going to just try it. And let me tell you, when I dropped that first newsletter, Lo Nervios, O-M-G, Lo Nervios. Because I was like, ay Dios santo, yo voy por esto aquí. It's vulnerable. Like, it's vulnerable. Hell yeah. I was like, okay, so all 800 million plus members have the opportunity to see this n- newsletter. I don't know how many will see it, but... Again, I went back to if my words and my story could impact one person and impact them in a positive way, then I've done my job on this earth. If it impacts more than one person, then that's amazing. So for me, I was like, let's see what happens. But man, the nerves that day when I dropped it, girl, I must have been like all shades of brown, white, green, yellow, purple. Um, I dropped it and I got so much feedback. Like it was an overwhelming, humbling amount of feedback, whether it was like text message, email, comments, etc. And so I've dropped three at this point. The first is like on the American dream. The next one was on code switching. Um, and the last one was around mental health. And so the next one will drop in a couple of weeks, but it's really just talking about topics that um, or lived experiences that underrepresented groups go through that genuinely have shaped who we are today um, and that influence how we show up to work, how we react to certain things, um, how we might be approaching certain things that, you know, if unless you have have gone through some of the lived experiences that we have, which some, you know, outside of our underrepresented groups, yes, some people have. If you haven't, you wouldn't understand. And so I said, well, I'm going to just put this out there. And I, it's not like a super corporate newsletter. It's not. It's just me that's talking even better. about it. Yeah, no, it's definitely. And also, that's just not me. Like, I'm not super, like, corporate, you know, square. I, it's really, like, just me being me, but also shining a light on these topics and talking about, like, what are some of the things that we can do to, like, push past this? And so it's brought me um, a lot of joy, and it's been really cathartic to write it. Girl, there's something healing and therapeutic about like putting your story out there and in different ways, right? Whether it's a speaking engagement, whether it's a newsletter and your throat chakra is on 10 now, girl, like it's out there. Yeah, no, it's out there, girl. It's out there. Sometimes I'm like, can you just get blocked for a second? But no. <laughs> What's been the newsletter that was the hardest and most vulnerable one to write? And which one has been the easiest? Uh, so far, the most vulnerable was the first one, um, talking about the American dream, um, because I think a lot of people don't know my story. And so to put it out there um, was a little bit nerve wracking. 
And it was the first one too. And, you know, you just never know, you know. Um, I know my Latinos and my Black community would have embraced it, but I'm like, what are other people going to say? Right. Um, but then I got some really good advice from my friend, a really good friend of mine who's a, who's an artist. And um, he actually did this artwork behind me. And um, he said, stop giving a shit about what other people are going to think about it. Put it out there because it's the work that you want to put out. And those that matter will, will gravitate towards it and those that don't, don't matter. And I was like, right. okay. And he that said, made okay. me feel better. Um, I was like, okay, you're right. Because he'd be dropping gems. So I was like, you're right, you're right. Um, and then the, the easiest one was Mask Off, which was on code switching. Um, because I did it for so long. And I know, and I knew that it would resonate with people because, uh, and of any color, you know. And I, I got a lot of messages on that. So that was like the easiest one because I felt like so many people would relate to that topic for sure yeah girl i could talk to you forever i know we're wrapping up and we are like a little over time but i want to end this with the brindis and i'll do a virtual brindis since i didn't bring my coffee (laughs) Um, but i want to do a brindis and i love to have space um, at the end for you to manifest what you want to manifest for the latino community and i know you're so plugged in in all these different spaces with the community so What's something you want to cheers to and what's something you want to manifest para nuestra gente? Cheers to um, new connections and making magic together in any format, right? Because we're doing this virtual for those who are tuning in. We're both on two different coasts right now. So cheers to the, the, the power and the magic of connection and technology. And something to manifest is that my, my wish is that the work that I'm doing and so many other people are doing today to change um, the future for the black and brown community. I hope that all of it is comes to this point of realization that we can do more together and that we create this long-term sustainable change so that the next generation never has to go through any of the things that I went through throughout my career and feeling blocked or feeling like I didn't belong or feeling um, like I'm working with toxic behaviors, all those things. Um, my wish is for a greater, better, healthier future for the Black and Brown community to be accepted as their full self. Ooh, cheers to that, girl. I have my little mug in my hand. Oh, it gives me <laughs> Thank you so much, Juliana, for bringing all your sasson into this space. Honestly, like, I could talk to you forever. And I'm going to Miami soon, so... Oh, I'll be here. I'll probably be here. So hit me up. Thank you, girl. Thank you so much for having me. I I genuinely appreciate you allowing me the space to be here. Ileana is this like perfect balance of intelligent, gangster, badass, hardworking, Latina excellence. Like she's a mix of all of that and more and hope y'all got that vibe from just listening to her talk, to her story, her experiences. If you want more of Ileana's energy and content, go to LinkedIn, type in Ileana Acosta. She'll pop up, follow, connect, all of that and more. On Instagram, if you want to connect with her there, go to Ileana underscore A. See y'all next week for more Cafecito and Chisme for all Hella Latino updates. Follow Hella Latino Podcast on Instagram. You can also follow me on my personal Instagram at ojasmine4as and find me on LinkedIn. Con mucho amor, conmigo Hondureña.